This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And the next step in, in our parents' <laughs> mind was like, she needs to get married. <laughs> of and course. like being brown, that's a big no-no when you're single at 30, mm-hmm. right, in the culture. And this is not the first time I'm hearing this. They wanted to find someone, but they wanted to find someone that was South Asian and they were having such a hard time. And these were pretty qualified people. What auntie's optimized for isn't necessarily what the individual wants. Part of it has to do with the cultural differences. Growing up in India and having a different value system and belief system versus some hybrid of Indian American and trying to figure out what your identity is and what you want doesn't necessarily overlap really well with what the aunties want. My name is KJ Dhaliwal and I am a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is a show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. On today's show, we're talking to KJ Daliwal, the co-founder and president of Dill Mill, the largest and fastest growing matchmaking app for South Asians across the world. Dill Mill was actually recently acquired by The Dating Group, where KJ now serves as the chief strategy officer. KJ is many things. Ironically, he is single. His mom put us up to this episode. No, but she's, I don't know, Sharon. I just, I loved, we, on the surface, as I said, we don't have that much in common, but our upbringing and so much of our, our values and philosophies on the world and everything, it's just really refreshing to know I'm not crazy for thinking the way I do about the world. No. And that's what I really enjoyed about our conversation. KJ was living through an experience where because he's a South Asian American, he and his friend group have different perspectives on how they were approaching personal relationships. And they realized that their parents' generation and generations before them were doing things differently. And he found a real need to create something innovative and as such has created all of these great relationships and marriages and match people up. And I think we can all relate to that, right? We can all relate to being in a situation where our parents would go about anything a certain way and and us being the new generation, whether immigrant or not, looking back at our parents and saying, you know what, mom and dad, that's actually not the way my friends and I want to approach this, or this isn't the way we think about the world. And he took that and he built an app out of it and he created a whole lot of love out of it. And I really enjoyed hearing about that journey of his. So we hope you'll enjoy our conversation with our new friend, KJ. KJ, welcome to the pod. It's great to have you here, man. Thank you so much for having me. So you're pretty infamous with the auntie community, but I guess for the audience that maybe hasn't heard about you, KJ, I got to ask, where are you from? So yeah, uh, I am, for good or bad reasons, really infamous with the auntie community. Um, (laughs) Originally from uh, Punjab, India, actually, I was born in Punjab, in Jalandhar in particular, and moved to New York 
Queens, New York, when I was about four and a half. I was sort of raised there until I was in my early teens. Uh, we moved to Pennsylvania. It's a small town called Easton, about an hour north of Philadelphia. Spent most of my childhood there. Went to Philly for school, Drexel University for engineering and, and finance, and then moved around a little bit around there and then ended up in San Francisco where I'm at now. What brought you to Easton? So it's actually the first city that you hit when you take Route 78 from New York <laughs> to Pennsylvania. It's okay. the first city. The immigrant journey. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think the parents wanted to get out of New York. They figured like the school systems, potentially also just the quality of life in the suburbs would be better. And, and I think Pennsylvania had better taxes than New Jersey. And Easton's <laughs> the first city you hit when you cross over from New Jersey to, to Pennsylvania. <laughs> That checks out. That, that, yeah, that's, that's yeah. about right. It's so practical. I thought, I don't know, I, I was thinking like some big life event or I, or even just something like my dad found a job there or something. But no, those are all very pragmatic reasons why to live yeah, in Houston. Yeah, no, it was, and, and it actually has ended up being like this huge South Asian community now in Easton because mm. I think a lot of the other brown people that followed that <laughs> logic have, right. have also landed on Easton as an ideal place to settle outside of New York. Was it always that way when you're growing up or were you a definitive minority in Easton? I would definitely say it was it was much more of a minority when we first moved there, but and it still is, but definitely I would say probably I'll put it this way, we had a a basement of a building as our gurdwara, which is a the Sikh, Sikh temple. temple. Yeah. And now there's actually two like pretty large gurdwaras that have been built in the in the same town. Um, so we started off in a basement where maybe the max capacity was 50 and now right. each of the Gordoire can hold like I think up to three, 400 people each. So, so I, definitely has, has grown. I relate so hard to that. Our Hindu temple in Alabama was like, I think we rented out a Unitarian church for probably the better part of my childhood before temples and, you know, Mundup started to get built in town. It's, it's nuts yeah. what it used to be like in and, and I don't know if you guys had this in the Sikh community out there in Easton. Did you guys have like the, call it the dinner party circuit, where it was always potlucks at some auntie's houses on the weekends? Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, I think like, especially like that sense of community is missing in the beginning. So there's a lot of those. And we grew up knowing everyone in town. Yeah. And but now when I go back, it's, it's so many new faces. And it's kind of nice to see that like the community has progressed, and they've done well, like they have businesses they've started in the, yeah. in the local community, and they're becoming more influential. So it's, it's really interesting to see that. The, the weirdest thing, because my parents were some of the early members of the community in Alabama where I grew up, is 15, 20 families back then, now hundreds, hundreds. Right. And in college, in early career years, I would go back home as the community was growing. And my parents are kind of like the elders in the community now. And all of these people who are my age know everything about me. They're like, oh, your auntie's son. I heard you were doing this and this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. who are you and why do you everything about me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. I could relate to that every time I go back. Mine usually is, oh, you're the guy that started the Indian dating app. Like, can you get my son or daughter married? <laughs> that's, that's and, and, and can I get a free account and a discount, yeah. please? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so what did you want to be when you grew up? I think when I was like really starting to think about that, maybe like my early teens, it was, and this might be a common answer for a lot of young teenagers was an astronaut 
Yeah, I was really fascinated by just like science and, and space and the idea of like what's out there, which I think I still am, but I probably have come to terms that I'm probably never going to be an astronaut. But, I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, Jeff and Elon I mean, want to make you one now. There's yeah, a guy that true. is in your area named Elon Musk and that's we can true. be, that's we can be fair, friends maybe. with him and definitely yeah. get into space. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely try to make, work my way uh, into into his circle. But, or, or the other guy, right? Jeff Bezos. He's lived, right, lived him a little too. north of me. But, exactly. But, but yeah, no, I mean, I think it was really some, something related to science was early passions and then would always... I remember my parents bought me my first computer and mm. and I think a week into it, I just took it apart and I broke it. And I was so interested in like how it worked and like how all the pieces came together. And like my parents were just infuriated because they were like, this was really expensive and you like took it apart. And then <laughs> the good thing was a month later, I, I figured out how to put it back together. So that was really nice. And then I think from that on, that period on, I sort of knew I also had an interest in engineering and building things and sort of tried to find a career in that aspect and that's what led me to do engineering in, in, in college and also along the way was fascinated by the financial markets and, and how all that works and so I ended up doing a double major that in engineering and finance and it led me to so to I guess my early like jobs that I've had but ultimately like in the back of my head I just really resonated with the idea of the American dream and like being an entrepreneur and building a company. And so even when I was 16, I was a power seller on eBay. <laughs> um, I was selling like shoes. I would <laughs> buy and resell shoes on eBay. Like this is when like sneaker sales online weren't really billion dollar companies as they are today. But but yeah, just, just everything from that to shoveling snow, I would gather some kids in the neighborhood and like go around and we had a team of, of, of like kids that would go and shovel snow at older people's houses and they would pay us twenty, thirty dollars per driveway and you made a you made a shoveling collective. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we would split the profits and 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 buy new shovels and stuff we needed. It was a real it was a, it was a real business if you think about it. But, uh, but yeah, we have always been very entrepreneurial and just trying to figure things out, even in, in before I started college and high school, just dabbling in ideas and growing up fascinated by people like Mark Zuckerberg that built Facebook and was like try, always trying to figure out what what I could do in the space that would be really interesting and, and I always knew I wanted to do something within consumer tech and within social potentially but that's I would say the early days of like where my head was at. How does that get to I mean just to jump right in man like okay a lot of people who found companies who start things they see a problem right they see a problem that they need to solve um and name any startup, like I want to make electric cars, I want to create commerce and selling for buyers and sellers, eBay. Uh, you, South Asian male <laughs> in finance, were like, yeah, brown people dating is fucked up. <laughs> like, what, what was that moment? Like, how did you be like, and how did that become the problem to solve? Like, what was that moment? And how did you get there? Yeah, no, it was definitely one of those moments where like you just it just hits you and you're like, wow, like this is a real problem. So I had just moved here to San Francisco in 2013, end of 2013 was when I moved here. And gosh, it's been what eight years. And basically, I had left the Wall Street career path. I had some offers from like Goldman and, and the like. And, and so my my original career path was, oh, I, I go into trading, investment banking, maybe some quant role, having an engineering background. But then I was like, I'm going to do this like 
thing I've had in the back of my head, which was to build a company and be a tech entrepreneur. Like I need to go to San Francisco. And, and I sort of just dropped everything, came out here, didn't really have an idea at the time. And the first company I started building was a, it was a Twitter analytics tool where it would pull data from Twitter and like analyze it for brands. So brand sentiment analysis. Mm-hmm. And I ran into a guy that had built a much better version of that at, an, at a tech <laughs> event here in San Francisco. And he was like, dude, you should just come work with me. Like you, what you're trying to do, like we've already done, we're, we're a couple million dollars in ARR already. We're making revenue. We have a real product. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. Sounds like a good learning opportunity. So I, I, I paused on my project and joined them um, as a head of growth. And, and we grew that company and, and that company got acquired by Cision PR, which is a public company in the media. Yeah, all state. the press releases yeah. are of them yeah. or Newswire. Yeah, that's a yeah, huge, yeah. huge company. And so, and even today, a lot of our products that we built, like the we built the first Instagram analytics tool and Tumblr analytics tool, it's still used by a lot of uh, the larger media and PR agencies. While I was there, starting in the itch again, I was like, I need to I need to think about an idea. I need to do something again. I need to build my own company. I don't want to get sucked into the corporate world, which I knew a lot of my friends were. It's really easy to go down that route. And I was just on the call with my sister one day, and she was just complaining how mom wouldn't stop like nagging her about finding someone. Older um, sister, younger sister? She's older. So she's... Okay. At this point, she was, I think, 28, 29, and, yeah, yeah. And, and she had just graduated like med school and like was had all the boxes checked off. And yeah. and the next step the, in, in our parents' <laughs> mind was like, she needs to get married. Of and, course, like, because she's a, like you know, almost 30. And yeah, almost late, 30, right? <laughs> being brown, coming from an Indian family, like that's a... That's a big no-no when you're single at 30, <laughs> right, in the culture. And, and I was like, what? Like, this is not the first time I'm hearing this. And and all of our cousins that we had were older and, like, they were also having the same issue. Like, they wanted to find someone, but they wanted to find someone that was South Asian and, and, and they were having such a hard time. And these were pretty qualified people. Why didn't they want to just tap the auntie network? Like, because that's a thing, right? <laughs> yeah. I think some of them had tried that and... What auntie's optimized for doesn't necessarily. Fit. Hang on, say that again. That, that's the teaser quote of the episode right there. Yeah. Start over. Well, I was going to say what auntie's optimized for isn't necessarily what the individual wants, right? And, and I think the a part of it has to do with the cultural differences in like growing up in India and having a different value system and like belief system versus growing up in the US being potentially you know, some hybrid of Indian American and like trying to figure out what your identity is and what you want doesn't necessarily overlap really well with what the aunties want, right? So I think that's a huge part of the problem. And, Wait, and then there's pause, also that- I want to pause you there because as someone yeah. who has never been matchmaked or like tapped into the auntie network, talk to me about- what Wait, Chinese aunties... people don't have that? I figured it was just the same well, we system do. with Chinese and aunties. Actually, I actually have kind of a I mean, I, when I was almost 30 as well and single and all of those things, I definitely, it wasn't an auntie network. It wasn't, it doesn't sound as official as you're making it sound, but it was totally like my mom and all her friends, like trying to get their kids together. And it, you know, like, it never worked out, but it, like, it sounds like there's a system that you're referring to. So what's the criteria and how do aunties make their matches? Like what, what are they looking at? <laughs> So, okay, I'll <clears throat> I'll give you a little bit of, I guess, I'll shed a little bit of light on this. So there is not, def- there's not a system per se. It's more of an unspoken thing. That's um, what we're supposed to say, Sharon. Yeah. We're not supposed to reveal that. The secret algorithm. The first rule of Fight Club is there, there is no Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, but I mean, I, I would say it's actually pretty similar to what you're describing, Sharon. I think the idea is like you want to find someone through your network, through your friends. So all of the aunties like ask their friends and their friends of friends and like family members. And that's how it traditionally has been done. There definitely are like aunties that are matchmakers professionally, right? Like if you guys yeah. have seen the show Indian Matchmaking, like that that is like the prime example of like an actual professional matchmaker that like has a Rolodex of people that she will match you with. But we're seeing less well, and less so, yeah, of that. And those women are like executive recruiters for matrimonial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Our auntie's looking at things like, well, he comes from a family where his father is a head engineer and his mother is a professor. And he's studying whatever it might be. He, he's studying. Plus, you know, plus region, plus caste, right? Like. Yeah, yeah. There's so much more than that. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Those things, the basic things, right? Like age, height, yeah, religion. India has a lot of different religions, even community, which is like either language-based or caste-based or ethnic region-based. And so there's so many different like subdivisions of the community. That was actually part of the reason why we saw a need was a lot of the larger dating apps, the mass market products like Tinder, Bumble, Hinge didn't really serve those niche needs in the community. Right. But going back, so basically I was having a call with my, my sister. It just hit me. I was like, wow, this is like a really big problem. Like you have this community that wants to find and date within the community, but they're having such a hard time. Like what better problem to solve? And because at that time, Dilmo didn't exist. And like the alternative was like Shadi.com, which is like this antiquated, like 90s, like, like, matrimonial website yeah explain um, what those two words mean like what what the terms themselves mean yeah i mean shadi just means like marriage right wow it was like the original dating site for brown people back in the day like yeah yeah i wouldn't even say dating site i would say like marriage website <laughs> yeah, straight, right? up, straight, <laughs> yeah. up, straight up straight up straight up when you're called you're literally called marriage.com and that's basically like they built a massive business around that at the time and like None of our friends or family wanted to be even seen on Charlie.com because mm -hmm. it had such a bad like stigma associated with it. 50% of the users were people's parents, meaning like you wouldn't even right. know half of the time if you were talking to the individual or like their mom or dad. Yeah. Um, wow. Wow. <laughs> but it worked because like the community cares so much about finding people within each, within the community and and I would say majority of the times the kids didn't even know they had a profile on jolly.com the parents would just make it. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That yeah, just absolutely. scares me. That scares me on some yeah, level. Yeah. Yeah, and I've heard so many stories where like someone's like, "Oh, I saw you or saw so-and-so like on, on Shadi and they're like, what? Like, I didn't make a profile. And then they go ask their parents. They're like, oh yeah, like, beta, we made you a profile because like we, we had to find someone for you. You're not going to do it. You're so getting close to, to 30. Yeah, you're not yeah, getting younger. basically. <laughs> so we just saw a need. We we're like, wow, like the, the product first apps like Tinder and Bumble had just started picking up steam. And we were like, this needs to exist. Like there needs to be a modern UI, UX friendly app for the South Asian community to be able to date, not just like to get married, just to be able to connect and meet each other. That's where the idea for Dill Mill was born. And it just came at that moment that like, this is a really important problem to work on because over like 85% of the South Asian community dates and marries within the community. What? So Dill Mill 
Dil means heart and mil means meeting. So Aww. essentially just means hearts meeting. And that's true in several Indian languages like, like Hindi and Punjabi. So it worked out well because everybody had that reference to Bollywood, I would say, like in terms of that like fantasy of like Dil Mil or Dil Mille. Actually, the app was called Dil Mille in the beginning. And then we dropped the E, became more hip. It's like the famous, <laughs> you drop the the on Facebook. Yeah. And, but, but yeah, that happened, I think, a couple of years into how, it. How do you thread that needle? Like in India, it's arranged marriage or love marriage. There is no in-between. And my parents were somewhere in between that. But versus, I mean, it sounds like your target audience, was it the modern Desi around the world or the Indian-American cop between two worlds? And then, and then how do you thread that needle? Is it more for... The love marriage based on the name Dilbil or like yeah. who are you designing for like and who started picking it up was it the same thing we definitely started with trying to solve the problem for what was closest at home which was like i said my sister my cousins people that like i knew which were just indian americans right mm -hmm. living in the u.s and it started with trying to combine what was important for the parents so not to like completely neglect or reject what they wanted and that was essentially like the checklist, right? Like they call it the bio data, right? Like the, that was the, the age, the height, the education level, the religion, the community, and those things we allowed you to filter by. And once you specified those filters, then you start seeing a pool of potential matches that fit those filters. But then it's up to you, right? Like you should decide if you're physically attracted to this person. If you can the hold double opt-in, right? The swipe right. And so essentially like it was built for, I would say the, the American Indian diaspora market. Because what we realized was at the time was if we can make this product successful here, chances are we can make it successful like in Canada, in the UK, any diaspora market. And that's really where we wanted to focus. And it isn't actually until this year recently where we started to focus on India itself as a market, right? Because one of the, I guess, the biggest things that, that we learned and, and the differentiators between like Tinder, Bumble, and Hinge and all these other dating apps is they're all hyper-local, meaning they focus on finding you potential matches like in your locality, like your geographical locality. And what Dilmil, what we quickly realized was most of our success stories, people that were getting engaged and married were actually long distance. They didn't live in the same city. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is if you're South Asian and you grew up in a particular area, like you, you know, grew up in Alabama, for example, and I grew up in Pennsylvania, in our cities, in our localities, chances are you already all know like all of the brown people that live there. Yeah, and, and they're, they're like family. You don't want to yeah. be with them. Yeah. They're like family or or you've tried and it hasn't worked. Yeah. And so hence why you're so single. And so your best bet is actually to explore beyond your locality and look like nationally or even globally. I and mean, that's one thing that Dilmil does really well compared to any other dating app. So we allow you to see the best potential matches for you based on your criteria anywhere in the world. And because most of our users in the beginning were focused on finding that long-term relationship, we didn't try to brand it as a marriage app. We also didn't want to brand it as a like a Tinder, which is all the other, other end of the spectrum, which is like can be viewed as like a hookup app. Right. So we've always had to play this balance in the middle of like quality relationships, right? Whatever that means to you. And that was a focus in the beginning. And that's, that's how it started. How many, I'm going to call them users, which is a weird thing because we're talking about love here, but how many, 
how many how many couples love is the ultimate app Sharon. come on love is the ultimate app how many couples can you guys take credit for creating oh that's better that's a performance question yeah yeah no it's a great question so we uh know about on a monthly basis so on average we're doing about two to three a day in terms of marriages wow so we like to say we mint about two to three marriages per day you say you uh-huh. mint marriages, huh? That's... <laughs> and how many babies have been born? Since right, now? right. Yeah. How many babies have been produced? So the interesting, so there's probably more, but the interesting thing is a lot of people don't necessarily share that with us or they don't want to share it with people, which has actually changed over the years. Yeah. I remember when we first started, like telling someone that you met so-and-so on online dating, it wasn't cool. Yeah. was yeah. taboo, right? But now it's becoming the norm, right? Like it's, it's becoming the default way of meeting people and people are much more open to it. And yeah. so we've had Dilmo babies. Like we've actually like sent out like onesies and stuff like with Dilmo logos on them. And like, yeah. we've definitely, I think babies, we haven't really counted, <laughs> um, but like <laughs> marriages that we know about. And, and if you look at like the percentage that we don't probably know about, it's in the tens of thousands. Yeah. And then in terms of users, like we have over 2 million users on Dilmo. It's funny, Sharon, I don't know if you remember this, like when we were buds, you were in New York, I was in Cincy. And -hmm. one of the running jokes we had between us, like I was dating an Indian girl I met on Friendster, but the only reason you knew about it, that I could talk to you about it was you weren't one of my friends in Cincinnati. I couldn't tell, I would not admit to people that there was a girl that I met online. This is the woman who not wound up being my wife. Yeah. (laughs) Who's probably listening to this podcast. And I didn't didn't even know that I was the only one that knew about it. So thank you. Because I wasn't going to tell anybody in my actual circle, but my buddy in New York, like I could talk to about it. The verse is fast forward. My very close friend of the pod, who's a prominent entertainer out West, he's completely okay that, hey, I met my wife online. And that's that's how the world works now. But back then it was like this, there's this like hidden thing. Yeah. yeah. I have so many questions. I kind of want to get a little techie with it, but then I kind of want to get personal. So I actually have a, as you were developing the app and you were developing ways to match people, did you have like an auntie advisory board <laughs> <laughs> or anything like that as you were trying or, or to figure did you, out? Or did like, you find auntie setting up their kids' profiles like on the shop? Or yeah, maybe something like that. Like how, tell us if like how that got integrated into the experience that you ended up rolling out. No. So we... I mean, we were really anti-auntie, right? Like, that was the idea. It was like, we want to do things different. KJ Daliwal, he's anti-auntie. You better not run for office, man. I've got that now. (laughs) The brand was definitely like, we want to do things different. We want to do things in a way that's more conducive to people finding love on their own terms and not going through the antiquated models of auntie matchmaking or arranged marriage, right? And uh, so we, but we did take cues from, we actually looked at even the shali.coms of the world, right? And other things, we were like, what are the things that are important? We surveyed people. What are the things your parents care about, right? Like, what are, what do you care about? And like, so that's where the initial set of filters were sort of derived from. Yeah. But we also didn't want to go all the way to the extreme, which Shadi had, which was like, what's your income level? And like, what's your sun sign? And like, what, what are you like, it's something called Kundali, right? Like there's very, very detailed information that a Shali.com profile had. And we didn't want that. We felt like that was way too of a traditional mindset. The kids don't people. care about that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And the kids didn't even know about half of those filters, right? So we decided to find a happy balance. And, and no, we didn't consult aunties on it. <laughs> and looking back, I think maybe that was the right decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Were there times when people may have met on the app and then their parents interjected in some way? Like, did you ever hear stories like that where the parents just weren't having it at all for this love marriage? Not necessarily. I think what the audience that we started with was, like I said, very Indian American diaspora market. And so that naturally, I think the parents had started to come to terms that like, okay, I'm going to have to allow my kids to go out and date and like meet right. people in order to like find someone. And I think over the years, the general consensus on this has moved in the direction. Even in India now, we're seeing like dating is becoming a real thing, right? Like that was never, I don't even think there's a word for dating in, in Hindi. <laughs> It'll be um, like a long, long Hindi sentence with the word yeah. dating. Dating. And so it's interesting because now it's changing though. And and we like to think that we, we played a role in that because we wanted to normalize dating in the South Asian community, which was definitely not something that existed when we started. And, and to some extent still doesn't exist in a lot of traditional households. But I think that ultimately people realize that, or parents realize that, and there was a joke that we had, which was like, they don't want you to meet anybody, talk to anybody, date anybody until you're like, 26 and yeah. then they want you to get married to the first person they introduce you to right like like what <laughs> you know, I, I remember like, i remember having yeah. that argument with my parents and i was like yeah. you've even though we secretly dated right other people but it's like you decided to stunt me socially and say i don't get to date and build relationships and have you know more at bats and fails frankly and then it's this expectation of figure it out now yeah yeah yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that was a problem, right? And yeah. and we wanted to normalize dating. We want to say, well, look, like it's okay for a 22-year-old to start meeting people and getting to know what they want, right? And and start dating, right? Because that's how you realize like what's important to you and what you want in a partner. And and I think initially, like I'm sure there was pushback. I'm sure like some people tried, but the one thing that we did was well, the only way you could sign into Dillmill in the beginning was through Facebook. Mm. And unless you gave your parents access to your Facebook, which I doubt any brown kid would, right. there's no way like the parents were going to use. I don't think any use... kid. It doesn't matter yeah. the race, no. AJ. <laughs> yeah. And so I would definitely say more so even brown because like <laughs> there's just like yeah. like the same idea, right? If there's this so like sort of restricted and like what they can do. And like, so I think the idea of like giving access to your social media, like to your parents yeah. uh, is like a really big no-no. And, and that prevented us from having parents on that. That's really smart. That's really smart. Have you have you minted any non-traditional relationships, like any queer relationships or any yeah. mixed race relationships even? Yeah, no, definitely. I always get this question on the mixed race side. Like we 
we don't necessarily not allow non-South Asians to join Dillmill. Actually, about 5% of our user base is is non-South Asian. And but there are people that are interested in South Asians. Yeah. And equally on the other side, you have users that are interested both in South Asian and non-South Asian. So and they use Dillmill as one of many apps that they use. So oftentimes they will match and they will work out. And we have success stories of non-South Asian interracial marriages happening through Dillmill all the time. And then we also have success stories within the LGBT community. We have we recently sort of included LGBT filters in the last couple of years. When we first started, it didn't really cross our minds because building a company and a startup, but you want to focus on a certain niche and then make that successful and grow after that. And but now as we're growing, we're realizing how important that is. And we're actually uh, making some updates to the product right now, which will start introducing like even different genders, like in terms of non-binary genders. So, and we're seeing small bit of traction within the South Asian community that are interested in this segment um, of the user base. But I, I think we're still not like where we want to be fully, like in terms of being as inclusive as we can, especially in India, like as we grow, we're going to learn a lot more, even outside of just LGBT, but like also just being more inclusive as a whole to the Indian population, because it's such a vast country. I mean, even though the goal was never to be auntie approved, and I'm using that to kind of shortcut things, right? Like, yeah. at the same time, in the South Asian community, maybe more broadly in the Asian or first, second generation immigrant community, parental approval is important, right? Like, very rarely, I mean, I will bring a white girl home, or I brought a Chinese American girl home, but it was important that my parents and my family liked her. It, I mean, it's mm-hmm. really, really important, right? And so, I kind of want to dig into the queer thing a little bit because I had a friend who, uh, Indian male who was queer and the running joke with his elder brother who was straight was what would be more okay after he came out? Would it be better if you brought a queer Indian boy home? (laughs) Right? Like, and I guess what has been the, the reaction, the normalization to, you know, back to kind of Sharon's question, like non-traditional, what's been the... I think about like as you guys move into India and India's not as progressive as the West is currently with LGBTQ rights. Like what's been the uptick? What's been the pushback to kind of non-traditional relationships across markets and because of your platform? Yeah, no. I mean, I think we have been trying to push the boundaries of what's yeah. acceptable in the community. Even the concept of dating itself, right, mm-hmm. in itself is is something that was new and and not socially widely accepted, right? within the South Asian community. And we've changed that to a certain extent. But we feel that there's a lot of things happening in the world that are changing the view on everything else. And people are becoming more open-minded. But to your point, I mean, I think the unspoken truth or, or just like the the general consensus within the South Asian community still is like anti-LGBTQ, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's something that we face like from... Uh, a lot of our users, right? Like on mm-hmm. social media or whether it's through support. When we announced that we're including features to be able to make the app more LGBTQ friendly, we had a lot of pushback from, from our users. From, from users, um, wow. From users, yeah. And and from just a general public as well that you have a lot of the extremist groups, right? Like in Yeah, India, Fox example, News breaking like, alert. Indian dating app is queer friendly. Right. Yeah. Hate yeah. mail comes in. Yeah. Yeah. 
or, or the equivalent of that in India is like the Shiv Sena, which is like this extremist group that yeah, is you know, like hardcore. Dill Mill like, is poisoning yeah, our youth. Yeah, <laughs> basically. And and I think that like that has definitely been a challenge. And but on the other side, we've also had a lot of support and and push from brown circles and brown communities where they were like you guys are slow to the party like you guys need to do more to be more mm -hmm. inclusive right so i think being a product you know company a tech consumer company based in san francisco right like it felt like the right thing to do and the natural thing to do and the team wanted to do it and we've we've pushed for it the good thing is our office isn't based in india when we started <laughs> and so we we didn't have to deal with a lot of the political issues that are going on over there yeah. in terms of like the the bjp and the indian government enforcing some wild wild regulations and, and and laws on you but we have launched in india now and that is something that we think about all the time and, and how it's going to be perceived and making it anti-approved or even just like like or socially push, approved. Or, or pushing yeah. the culture frankly i mean yeah yeah we, we're definitely doing that i think that doing it within the context of dating is one thing, but we think we want to do it within a larger context. And that's something I'm happy to talk about. I think that we want to move beyond dating, actually. And wait, beyond dating to do what? Uh, so we, so yeah, that's, so it's actually something I'm really excited about. After the company got acquired in 2019, I was promoted to chief strategy officer of the group that acquired Dill Mill. And I've been busy helping all the products across the portfolio, but now um, I've been re- prioritizing Dill Mill because I see a larger opportunity, which is not just helping South Asians connect over the context of dating, but helping South Asians connect in general across various use cases. And so we want to start building more community features within Dill Mill. So what we realized was like when Clubhouse started, for example, there was like so many rooms where like they were focused around conversations that South Asians cared about. There were uh, multiple Facebook group is, groups that are doing really well in terms of like size and like engagement that are based around co topics and conversations South Asian care about. And so we felt that there's a need in potentially building a social network for South Asians that is focused on topics they care about, especially in the times where you have a government in India that's heavily censoring free speech. Yeah. And and being a company that's based in the U.S., we potentially have the opportunity to do that because we've done that within the dating space. We pushed the boundaries of what was socially acceptable, what mm -hmm. people could do, what they could talk about. And we think we have an opportunity to do that in the larger scheme of community and social. So that's that's something I'm excited about for next year. That's well, pretty cool. I, something that, that really speaks to me. Sharon, I think I've told you the story. I don't, I don't know. Years ago when my daughter was like one, my wife and I, and my daughter's half Indian, half Chinese American. Mm -hmm. and we're at a park and our daughter was just playing around with the soccer ball. And we live in a part of the country where we're not close to our auntie and uncle networks. We're up here on our own in, in the northeast or south side of New York City. And mm -hmm. it's been hard to connect with other Asians. And I remember being at this park, watching my daughter play soccer. And we just saw this large crowd of like Indian families having a picnic. Uh, it was pre-pandemic. And I looked to my wife and I was like, wow, I, I don't have that. The dinner parties, the aunties, the uncles, that broader community. And my wife looks at me because uh, I'm an atheist. She's Catholic. And my wife was like, well, where do you get that? Religion, in church, in temple. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, but I don't want that. And now literally at my daughter's bus stop, there's a, a little Korean boy and his dad brings him to the bus stop. And 
it's like we want to meet the, this kind of sound really bad like because we are still kind of in assimilate acclimate mode the melting pot of america mm-hmm. but i do want my daughter to have chinese friends i do want to have indian american and indian indian friends right because mm-hmm. i don't have the culture from the auntie dinner party circuit that i had as a kid if that makes sense and so finding right. opportunities and it's almost like dill mill for like uh parent play dates <laughs> Like, yeah like there's a, yeah, there's no, a serious use case definitely. and other other chinese americans other korean americans other indian americans we express that as a new parent right. and again right. it's not just about finding another indian half indian half chinese kid for my daughter but it's like i don't know what to do for diwali like i, right. I don't know where to take my daughter what to do do i want to go to a weird temple thing like i don't think i do right that's right. awkward yeah no 100 and I, I think i think that's exactly the use cases that we're thinking about right is how do you give people context of a culture of an ethnicity right in the modern world and the technology is a great way to do that and, and i get this question a lot too like oh you built dill mill which is a south asian focused dating app and and you're interested in building products for this community like are you anti-interracial marriage right like are you like not okay with people marrying outside of the culture because you're building tools to help people marry within the culture and my response is always that look like first of all like to each their own, right? Like anybody's, if any, if somebody's interested yeah, in consumer finding, choice, like that, that should be like provided, right? We should give optionality. But the second thing is, if you think about it, if everybody ended up interracial marrying and, and then eventually the world would just end up as one race yeah. and that'd be a pretty boring place to live, right? Like it's kind of cool to be able to like experience a different culture and like talk to people from a different part of the country and, you know, or the world and be able to understand their traditions and their values and like what they care about. I think so a bit of it has been like, like preservation of culture and like, because the community cares about it so much, we want to give that tool. So I don't really think about it like as like being anti-interracial. I think it's more like, how do we... Optionality, optionality. Optionality, but also like amplification of different cultures, right? And I think... And I think that's that will hopefully translate over to any other community-based features or products that we build. And, and definitely, maybe your kids one day, Roman, will be will be using that product <laughs> to help you know meet connect with other South Asians. And why stop at just South Asians, right? Like we we can build those type of products for any ethnic community. Well, that's yeah. that's what's interesting. Something I read is I don't know if it was pre or post acquisition, but you went and did this for another ethnic community in America, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a Jewish dating app as well, we, Shalom, which we still have. And the idea was, can we become the best at building platforms for ethnic communities, for niche communities that care about connecting within their communities or their interest groups, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be religious-based um, or ethnic-based. It can be interest-based, right? Because what we're seeing like on the larger social networks, right, like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, etc., like is information is becoming so like normalized in the sense that you lose quality because of quantity. Like maybe there's certain topics that you really care about, but because there's this idea of like information overload within the large data set, the data becomes normalized and standardized. So everybody sees some variation of that. And and I know Facebook's been doing a lot of work and trying to change that. But when you have political views and social views and all these things colluding on one platform, people are going to potentially not be able to meet or connect with people that they care about, right? Because they're afraid of being canceled, right? Or they're afraid of not resonating with the larger mass market audience on a social platform because they don't want to talk about what they care about, right? 
So part of it's like trying to figure out how do we preserve that and how do we preserve that within communities that care to find people within those communities, whether it's Indian or ethnic based or religious, like Jewish based or, mm. or just interest based, right? Like fitness, for example, like that's an area that we're interested in, like fitness based, like a fitness dating app, people that are interested in fitness. It's called right? Peloton, like, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too, I guess. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I think ultimately like there's going to be a lot of interesting niche social networks or products that are coming out that are going to allow people to connect with people that care about things that they care about. Yeah. And KJ, you've you've spent so much of the last couple of years of your life bringing people together and minting tens of thousands of couples and making babies, things like that. <laughs> you told us a few minutes before we started recording that you are single. And I'm wondering if you've learned anything from the way that Dillmill has connected people, if, if you're a user of Dillmill and the irony of that in all of this and, and how you're approaching meeting someone today. Yeah. To be clear, this whole podcast was a ruse. Your parents put us up to this we're whole just thing. Trying, so we yeah, this we're, question. we're trying to help you find your soulmate. You know, why am I not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I was, well, first of all, I was really busy building <laughs> Dillmill. Um, <laughs> Are you a little defensive? This is what I tell my parents, right? That it was it was actually funny because they were always like, "Well, your excuse before was you're super busy and you're running a startup and like you're in grind mode and, and you can't date and you can't talk to anyone." But now, right. Bill Mills acquired <laughs> an excuse now, right? Everybody uh, around the world, yeah, it's nice. yeah. right? It's my life's work, right? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, look, I think it, part of it was that, right? Like being a founder, you're just so busy and. And then post acquisition, like we got acquired at the end of 2019 and um, 2020 COVID happened. Right. And yeah, so it's really hard to meet people in COVID. But but yeah, I think I'm definitely ready to find that person. But like also, I'm not exclusively set on finding that person through Dillmill. Of course, I use my own app now, which yeah. has always been like a weird relationship. Right. Like, do I use my own product or should I or should I not? <laughs> right. And I think but now it's I've come to terms with that. I'm like, what? Like. It's a great tool that we've built for the world. I need to use it for myself. So, so yeah. Are you looking? Are you looking for a nice Sikh? <laughs> you looking for a nice Sikh Punjabi girl? That would be ideal. Yeah, I think like I do value like the Punjabi culture a lot. I I love Bhangra. Like I was on a Bhangra dance mm. dance team in, in university and love the food. And and I think family wise, it would be easier to relate to. But but so but yeah. So it's not just like because of the parents, but I also personally really enjoy the culture. So I would say preference definitely is is that. If you could have a conversation with that little kid in Easton, you mm -hmm. know, with the snow shovel collective cabal, <laughs> what would you tell that kid? I, I, I would say just don't change like anything, right? Like just keep working hard, pursue things that make you, give you that spark, um, that passion. And I think take more risks. I was known for taking a lot of risks from where I come from, where I grew up, right? Like, like my parents, they didn't necessarily graduate college or like work that those white collar jobs like all the time. And they, they viewed me and my sister as the first in the family to like, my sister's a, a doctor now and I've done some interesting things, I guess. And <laughs> so they viewed that as after post-college, like, oh, don't take crazy risks. Like don't move to San Francisco, like do like get a good job, make a good salary and get mm -hmm. married. Right. But I think the fact that I was able to break away from that mold and like do some of these things definitely gave me an experience that was unique. And, and I would just tell that kid to like, do more of that, 
right? Like maybe do mm-hmm. it earlier, <laughs> right? And so I think that definitely don't have a lot of regrets in life. I think the mistakes that you make definitely make you who you are. So I wouldn't be the person I am today if I hadn't make a lot, made a lot of those mistakes when I was younger. So I probably wouldn't tell that person to change much, but I would just say also like try to enjoy like more of the process too, right? Like before you've been building a startup and working day and night for five years straight <laughs> um, and you lose a lot of friends doing that. So, so maybe try to balance it more. That would be, that would be another piece of advice. Yeah, that's great advice. So KJ, at the end of every conversation, we, we go through speed round and I think we're ready for that. Are you ready for speed round? Yeah, sure. Wrong answer. No one's ever ready for speed round, KJ. <laughs> no one is ever ready. We shall see. What is one thing about you that no one expects? I'm a really good dancer. <laughs> Why would nobody expect that of you? Yeah. I think it's just... You're Punjabi. I thought that's what our people yeah. did. <laughs> but like, I think they just view me as like a, a business person, like serious, like rigid. And like, yeah. when they see me on the dance floor, they're like, wow. <laughs> so... So I think okay, that, that's, so, that's so not you hear that, ladies? He's got the moves on the dance floor, and what they say about that? <laughs> what do they say about that, Sharon? Yeah, what do they say oh, about that? <laughs> we know the girls know. <laughs> KJ, what's a book or a movie that has characters that you relate to? I think there's a there, there's a movie named. I think the name I might be butchering the name, but it's, it's the Man Who Knew Infinity, which is about a story about this this guy from India that comes from almost nothing and like ends up like getting into Oxford and starts really solving these crazy math problems and ends up like like inventing the concept of like infinity and the number system around that. And although I don't think I'm anywhere close to that, but I think the story of like being born in India and like coming from very humble beginnings and not much coming to a country like where the chances are probably stacked against me, right? In terms of like doing anything interesting, my parents sort of working two jobs to put us through college and all that, like, and now sitting in in San Francisco and and having exited a company and like doing well, but also like having a lot more ahead of me. Like, I think that movie, like when I watched it, I was like, wow, like this is, it's, it's possible, right? Like, I think like, as long as you work hard enough and you have the right intentions and you're passionate about what you're doing, like you can like really achieve that dream that you have for yourself. And and when I watched that movie, it made me tear up a little bit because it's kind of like reminded me of my life a little bit, but, but yeah, I don't think I'll ever invent infinity or like anything close to it, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite mom dish? My mom is an amazing cook. So that's a really hard question. My my mom's actually temporarily living with me right now. So I'm eating a lot. Her chicken curry is, is is probably by far my favorite. And the funny thing is she doesn't eat meat and she's never ate meat in her life. Wow. <laughs> but, but she just knows how to make it really good. Yeah. Sounds great. That's actually one of my top two mom dishes as well. My, mom. <laughs> my mom's chicken curry is way better than your mom's chicken curry, KJ. Come on. We'll have to. We'll have to. We yeah. should have a curry yeah. cook off. I will be the taste tester. <laughs> What's your least favorite food? Hmm. I don't like fried food. What? Well, I'm disowning yeah. you from the culture, brother. Come on. <laughs> I like, it might be just like a recent thing too, because I'm trying to be more health conscious. But That's a San Francisco um, in you. I got it. I got yeah, it. Yeah. But I mean, hey, there's a lot of great Punjabi food that's not fried. But you'd be surprised. <laughs> that's fair. Like a lot of the subjis and the dolls and like the curries and like none of that stuff is fried. That's fair. Who's someone that you'd want to have a conversation with on a podcast? Besides would... me and Raman, of course. 
I was going to say, like, out of all the podcasts I've done, you guys have been the most, like, fun to oh, do Oh, flattery so, will get you everywhere. Um, <laughs> that's, a big, that's a big compliment. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been a pleasure. I would say, I mean, this is probably, like, a common answer, but I love reading physics and my engineering background. I was just a phase of my life where I wanted to become a PhD in physics and maybe become a professor, but then I realized like, they barely, the professors <laughs> don't really make a lot of money. <laughs> But uh, I, I heard be, somewhere like, that a PhD stands for a pretty hungry doctor. Yeah, 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 that too. But but yeah, I mean, I think like if possible, like uh, if it was a dead person, like like having like Einstein on a, on a podcast would be fascinating to see mm-hmm. how he thinks about the world and like yeah. how he actually thinks about dating would be interesting to to, to see as well. <laughs> <laughs> KJ, what does being a modern minority mean to you? Huh, I think. A modern minority is someone that can still have roots within their minority background, right? Whether that's their culture, their ethnicity, uh, where they come from, the identity that maybe their parents have given them or what they've gathered from growing up, but still be able to live in like a melting pot like the U.S., right? And, and be able to actually live that American lifestyle and still be true to their roots and their minority background that they care about and and be able to thrive within that context. That's great. That's a great answer. KJ, beyond all the surface level things like having an awesome beard and founding the largest and fastest growing (laughs) matchmaking app for South Asians, like I, so much of your story, I just relate so much to kind of the philosophies, the the perspectives. And I I just like that really thoughtful people like you are working on very interesting and meaningful challenges. So I hope you'll keep doing it. And I hope you'll keep evolving the work and making it bigger and better for the rest of us. Thank you for bringing more love into the world, KJ. You're literally doing that and you're bringing more really cute babies into the world too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys so much. It It was such a pleasure speaking with both of you. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Raman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.